my friend B.T. Harmon. Those of you that don't know B.T., we'll hear shortly. Um, uh, like Stan was mentioning, you just came in off of uh, the, what's it called? The Camino de Santiago. All right. And apparently over a month's time period, you walked how many miles? Um, so over, yeah, over the course of a month, I walked 200 miles and biked about 300. So we, we, we covered 500 miles of pretty much all of northern Spain. Okay. We walked across the country. Holy cow. Yeah, it's yeah. cool. I mean, I watched it live on Instagram, and <laughs> I mean, I saw the condition of your feet, but one of those things I was asking you about is what kind of, what kind of preparation did you take? You're talking about chafing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, we want to know. Okay. Uh, yeah, we, we manage chafing and blisters are, are the two... Villains of the Camino. They're the two things that'll take you out. Everyone asks us if it's safe. I'm like, it's incredibly safe. It's, it's your own body that you got to just care for. So, yeah, we did good on those fronts. A lot of research, a lot of YouTube videos, a lot of medicinal products you can purchase to get you in a healthy space. Nice. I, I'll be honest. I had no idea what you were doing. I, I had never heard of this before you went. Yeah. But it's amazing. You have some photos that we downloaded and put up there that you just took. These yeah. Yeah. So should you should I just give a rundown of what the Camino is? For sure, those who don't do that. Know. Okay, so the Camino de Santiago, um, it stands for the Way of St. James. So um, maybe 1,200 years ago, this guy named Pelagius, Pelagian, okay. yeah, he um, was in the Iberian Peninsula, which is in Spain. He, he's out one night, he sees some, some strange lights. Uh, again, this is according to him. And he follows the lights, he goes, he looks around, and there's a, there's a sort of a hidden tomb, sort of overgrown and um, he calls in church officials to check it out, and for whatever reason, they decide that this is the tomb of the Apostle James, uh, because allegedly, according to tradition, sort of the end of his life, he was on the Iberian Peninsula. So, so the church sort of certifies this as like a holy site, and they commence to begin to build a large cathedral, as Christians Churches were known do. to do in, the, uh, in those times in Europe. And so pretty much starting about a thousand years ago, it became a historic Christian pilgrimage. So people began from all points of Europe coming into Santiago to, you know, uh, gain spiritual blessings, salvation, etc. So at one point, it was the third most popular pilgrimage in all of uh, European Christendom. So you had mm. basically Israel, or I'm sorry, Jerusalem and Rome were the top two, and then Santiago was the third. So um, the path that I did, if you think about Santiago, it's, or the, the country of Spain is sort of shaped like a fist. So Santiago is here over near the coast, and so if you look at the historic paths coming into it, it's like a spider web. Like they're coming from every single direction all around because people from all over Europe and even Africa were coming in to, um, to make their pilgrimage. Um, but as it turns out, the, the longest or most, I guess, popularly, most commonly traveled one is a, a path called the Camino Frances, which means the French way. So basically if Santiago is here, southern France is here. So I started in St. John Pied-de-Port, uh, and then I walked 500 miles, walked and biked 500 miles west, ending in Santiago. So when you get to Santiago, there's this massive cathedral. They have mass for the pilgrims, but it's kind of cool because you're seeing people that you actually walked with on your path, the Camino Frances, but they've been coming in from every different direction all over. And some people start, you know, we met people who started in Amsterdam and they walked 1,500 miles oh or people who started at, you know, the Italian peninsula. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So I guess the question is why? What, was this a, was this a, <laughs> I mean, seriously, is this a, is this a, was this a mountain to climb? Was this uh, was this just your thing? What what yeah. was the why, why did you go? So I'm turning 40 in November. Right. So um, when you're approaching a big birthday, you want to do something special. So uh, 
So Brett, my husband and I, we talked about all kinds of fun, exciting things that usually involve beach houses and, uh, and fruity drinks. Mm. Um, and the more I thought about it, I was like, that just, I don't know, that just doesn't sound right. It doesn't feel, doesn't feel right for me. So I had two friends, two older friends, Bill and Kitty Murray in Atlanta. They had hiked the last basically 100K of the Camino, uh, so 80-ish miles. They'd done that maybe three or four years ago. And mm. I'd seen them on Instagram. I thought, that seems cool. So literally early summer, I kind of came back across the concept of the Camino. I was like, that's what I want to do. So... Um, so yeah, for me, it was uh, definitely sort of an exercise in solitude. So you're walking, you, you average about 15 miles per day that you're walking. And so that translates to roughly seven to eight hours that you are walking through fields and forests and mountains. Um, if you're solo, you're many times you're by yourself completely. So you can look you know, as far as the eye can see, there's nobody else there. So I don't know about you, but that just sounded like as crazy as life is and as dumpster fire-ish as things seem to be. I'm like, this sounds amazing. Like, um, so yeah, definitely had a solitude piece. Um, sort of a um, intentional loneliness piece as well. Um, like I, I was kind of scared to tell my husband, like I want to be gone for three weeks um, alone without you. Without you, I know that's when you're married. That's kind of like a, you don't really do that very often. Uh, but he was super sweet, and um, and I kind of liked the the tension that created, just like you know to miss your person and to be reminded of how nice it is to to have someone. Um, and then definitely spiritual, you know, spiritual aspects as well. I mean, it's a uh, you're literally following in the exact same footsteps as you know pilgrims from a thousand years ago, you know, in like these brown, like monkish robes with like a staff and um, they carry a scallop. You may have seen some of the photos. The scallop is the official symbol of the, of the Camino. And so old pilgrims had like the staff and the scallop and they put water in gourd. So it just has this very primitive kind of feel. So I love technology. I love all the fancy screen-based things. I am not a, a screen shaming type person, but I also believe that, you know, just submerging yourself in an experience like this, um, for me, it felt like a like a detox, you know, like a detox for your mind, for your soul, for your spirit, whatever kind of language you want to use, it just pushes all of that anxiety out. Because you sort of get weirdly, you get sort of divorced from all the American drama, you know, yeah. like, and, and I'm a big social media user, but for whatever reason, it was like my mind just disengaged from all that. And you're encountering people from all over the world of all generations. Uh, I've said it's, it's one of the few times in life where like everyone's kind of moving in the same direction, you know, like, right. High school, college is that way. We're all kind of on the same journey, so to speak. Right. And then once college hits, it's like everyone goes in a thousand directions. And this feels like one of those rare times in life where, like, everybody you meet, you're like, hey, you're going to Santiago. You know, we're moving in the same direction. We kind of are there for a reason, for a purpose. Um, everybody has a reason in the Camino, right. for the most part. It's not like, you know, we think about backpacking Europe, and it's like 22-year-olds out of college, which is certainly a thing. But the Camino doesn't really attract that. It attracts... Um, seemingly like older people. I felt there were many times I was like, I'd look around, I'm the youngest person there, you know, like 70-year-olds, 80-year-olds walking 15 miles a day with, wow, 30-pound packs. I'm like, even that piece was, was very inspiring, so. Yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, as far as, as, far as uh, I guess, a spiritual connection for you, um, I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned the, long, the, the oldest uh, journey in Christendom that, I mean, Organized, but uh, what is what maybe was, not the oldest, but okay. a, a old, very old. So, what was did, what were your spiritual takeaways? Um, yeah. in that? So, I think for me, um, you know, I now closely associate spiritual health with mental health. Like those two yeah. things are just that was not a part of my religious upbringing growing up. Those two things were not the same, and so those things have merged. So, to me, you know, I've said this whole experience was like a, a mental health machine, you know, just every, like, almost every button that comes along with good mental health kind of gets punched on this experience. So that was definitely a part of it. I think another thing for me, um, as many of us here, just being a bit dismayed as of late with the current um, spiritual status of our nation or the world, everyone you look at it, you know, I am beginning to find increasing comfort in 
really old, like ancient expressions of Christianity, yeah. you know, because yeah. I'm like, you know, not that, you know, they had their own issues and their own, you know, theology battles and crusades and violence. So, that, you know, it's not like they were, you know, perfect by any means, but to me, I get a lot of comfort out of reminding myself that though the current state, the current iteration of the dominant religious structure in this country feels very broken, in my opinion. Um, yeah. It's good to, like, rewind the clock and be like, okay, this, this thing we call Christian faith has been around for 2,000 yeah. years, and a lot of people have walked this road. And just because the, the version of it that we see right around us might not feel like it's working, we can look to the past to kind of gain some inspiration. So, mm. um, so for me, yeah, I mean, you know, it's amazing. Like, we spent two days in Madrid, and we go to the Madrid History Museum, and you go through all the different sections of history, and you get to, like, the 400, 500 A.D. point after Rome sort of, like, mandated Christianity, and you see all these... Uh, scratched into stone, the, the Cairo, you know, which mm -hmm. is this ancient symbol for Jesus. And so even just to stare at these ancient pavements, you know, from, of stone that have uh, people were passionate about Jesus to the point that they're carving out uh, the symbol of this new religion, to me, that's mm -hmm. invigorating and yeah. um, just reminded me that, you know, at the end of the day, this thing comes back to Jesus and not all of the political structures we built around it. Yeah, you said we, uh, Brett joined you for the last few days. Of that. If, you don't, if you don't follow BT on Instagram, uh, just watching the whole thing unfold is amazing. <laughs> you can still go back and do that, I guess, right? Yeah, it's all on there. Yeah, the yeah. pictures that you're saying I put on my Instagram, so they're, they're all yeah. on there. But. So Brett joined you for the last little bit and did a week's worth of journeying? Yeah, so I definitely wanted to do, um, to have this experience with my husband. So they have the first three weeks I went solo. This was like, you know, classic story arc. You know, you're going into the wilderness and you're finding all the beautiful things of life and, and finding meaning. And then, um, but then getting reunited with your person was super great. So, yeah, we walked, basically, we did the last five or six days together. Yeah. Uh, and then I'd, I'd done, yeah, the previous three weeks. I was mad at him for you when I started seeing his pictures show up on Instagram. He looked all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I know, and I know. I was the old, haggard, like, withered trail <laughs> troll pilgrim. <laughs> I mean, I've got, literally, I've got bandages on my legs. Toenails are falling off. Um, and he's all... Yeah, this fresh face Happy. dude steps off the plane, ready to right. let's go. You know, I'm like slow uh, down. I'm just kidding. He he was fantastic. I know, I know. Uh, you guys did great together. <laughs> so, the the reason why I know you, um, the reason why I've been exposed to anything you do anywhere is because of Blue Baby's Pink. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what that is and why you put that out in the world. Yeah. So I published a blog and then podcast five years ago now uh, called Blue Baby's Pink. Hopefully some of you have seen it. But it was literally just, uh, thank you, <laughs> sweet. It was literally just my coming out story. It really wasn't that special or unique. Um, it, was, it was very long, a lot longer than it probably should have been. Um, I got multiple emails saying, you need an editor. I'm like, I know, but I'm <laughs> just a poor random person. I don't, I don't have fancy things like editors. So um, basically it was just, I grew up in North Alabama. My dad was a Southern Baptist pastor. I grew up in a great family, too. Uh, older brothers. Um, so just a classic, good Christian family uh, in, the, in the American South. Very evangelical, very conservative. And so uh, was gay, am gay, I've always been gay. Uh, but, you know, as many are prone to do, hid that for many, many years and sort of crawled into my little closet and just began pushing through the seasons of life. High school, college, college ministry, fraternity. Uh, jumped on board with a startup in 2005, all just um, while trying to live and exist in this world with this secret, uh, convinced that it was not okay to be gay and that um, God wanted me to uh, suppress that and to be single and celibate for all of my days. Hmm. As it turns out, that strategy is flawed, I learned. Um, it did not work out so well for me. So 
in my mid to late 20s, began to have some sort of mental health issues around all the secrecy and the hiding and the shame and all that really bad self-talk. And so um, finally, for the first time, uh, really around 30 or late 20s, began to, or allowed myself to question sort of our traditional understanding of, of sexuality. Hmm. And so, um, so Blue Baby's Pink was just me telling that story that I just quickly told in a lot more words, mm -hmm. um, but really trying to, uh, you know, honestly, and I'll always honor the, the, the tradition I came from, because a lot of LGBTQ people, you know, they, they have a lot of trauma associated with church and those kind of things. That wasn't my story. And so for me to be true, I had to kind of, to be honest, which is that, no, the people, these people have really loved me and have been very yeah. special in my life. And so I really tried to pull that part out as well. Yeah, that was, uh, for me, it was huge. It was impactful. And, and I loved your generosity toward your faith tradition, mm -hmm. although it, it excluded you, basically. You know, it didn't allow you to be who you were. Yeah. Um, so that was one thing I, I really loved about it. Were you surprised at the traction this thing's gotten? And I don't know. I mean, um, I guess so. You know, I kind of entered it saying, you know, if the only people that read this are the people I grew up with, like that was, you know, that was totally fine for me. You know, I, I it's the only thing in my life I have felt truly like God sort of ordained it or <laughs> maybe pushed me to get this story out. Like I, in 2007, I began taking notes on this whole experience and so uh, for 10 years, I just took little weird notes in my phone, like a little, you know, uh, again, like a little troll, just taking notes on the things I was experiencing. And that's what eventually became the, the, the bones and the, the guts of the story. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I don't know. In the story, I, I loved uh, your appreciation and love for your dad. Yeah. And I know he passed away during that 44 episodes. I don't remember what episode it was. You do, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. but yep. um, 11. Episode 11. <laughs> um, I think I could be wrong. It, that was a that was a fairly pivotal moment um, in your story, I think. But also, looking back at that now, as a as a gay man out, um, married, how, how what what would your dad say to BT now? It's <laughs> a really good question. This is a really hard question, but I like it. It's good. Um, so yeah, you know, my dad died 21 years ago. So oh. I'm like, what was going on in the world 21 years ago? Like, right at, it was right after the Y2K. Mm. You know, smartphones didn't exist. I mean, it was just a different universe. Sure, sure. Basically. So I think in 21 years, it's like I have no idea how his faith and beliefs would have evolved. Sure. He was the pastor of a large Southern Baptist church, so that he would have had some some problematic, you know, things to resolve there, and maybe a little tension. So I really don't know. I my instinct is to say that he would not be affirming, okay. but that he would be incredibly loving and kind towards me and towards my person. Right. right? And so for me, like you know, if if that if he was in that place, I would, that would be good enough for me. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. You know, I don't know what he would say. Yeah. 20 years, 20 years is a long time. It's a long time. That's I mean, right. some, yeah. of us, some of us have come further and less. <laughs> so I'm just saying. Um, so you, you touched on this, but you, you struggled with, with your mental and phys even your physical health while, while closeted. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that you wrote, I, I love that you recorded, I don't love it. It's just, it's <laughs> odd to me that you recorded Blue Baby's Pink. In your actual closet. In the closet, yeah. That's what yeah. poor podcasters do, by the way. We all record um, <laughs> on cheap Amazon microphones. So. Right, right. But you're better. You're better now. A little fancier. Yeah, yeah. all right. Um, you told me one time that there, for you at least, there was no gay Christian mentors or role models out there to emulate. Maybe no gay married Christian men that basically had any type of platform or anything. Is yeah. that still the case? Did you find, have you found some? Yeah, I definitely wouldn't say there were no, none of, nobody like that. Okay. But there aren't many, okay. and there aren't many very prominent ones. You okay. know, um, 
And so, yeah, I mean, that, that is one of the challenges, I think, for the LGBTQ community, particularly people of faith, is, you know, I, I've always kind of compared it to this. Like, if you are a, a, a straight child and you are in a church, like, of this size or bigger, um, you know, you look around and all of your uh, presumably straight or friends who have straight parents, they're married, they have healthy marriages, some, some more healthy than others. But you kind of, like, your entire life, you're used to seeing people, like, go through, matriculate through the phases of life. We go childhood, we go high school, we go college, we, go, we get married, and then we, you know, have a job and then have kids, right? And that's kind of the, the path. So the problem is when you're gay, that path does not look quite so linear to you or that it even can exist at all. And so we don't have sort of these, yeah, icons and role models and things to aspire to, like, oh, look at them. I want to get to that point in life or here. And so obviously since gay marriage has been legal, that is becoming more common, but, we, but it's going to, there's like a lag. Does that make right, sense? Right. And so when you look at, you know, the, the um, impression that a lot of people have that the gay community is highly non-monogamous and uh, promiscuous, I guess you could say, you know, my response to that is there, there is obviously some truth there, um, but also we haven't even had the option of marriage for the last, you know, let's say 10 to 100,000 years, depending on your <laughs> right. view of, right. I'm like, we're, we're, like, we're five years into this or six years into this thing, you know, like gay right. marriage was legalized in 2015, and so there's actually a mindset that uh, you know, I'm hoping will begin to shift towards uh, pro-monogamy, pro-getting you know, getting married, putting down roots, and uh, having families. And I know that's not the path for everyone, but I hope more people will, will see that path as an option, younger LGBTQ people. Yeah, so. are you, do you find yourself kind of a reluctant leader in that space now? Is that something, is, I haven't asked you, Brett, are you guys comfortable with that, is that something you as- not even aspire to? Are you, are you reluctant leaders in that space? Do you find yourself as that? Are you trying to be? Brent and I are razor-focused on uh, loving each other well, building a good marriage, raising two cats, uh, <laughs> growing vegetables in our garden, uh, keeping our house clean. That We are aspiring to be role models in those things. Um, I can follow that. Yeah, I, I mean... Listen, if somebody, if somebody wants to look up to us and glean some kind of inspiration, more power to them. But listen, Trey, I mean, coming out of the evangelical space, mm-hmm. I think the minute, the minute we start trying to, you know, look at me, I'm a role model kind of language, things Failure. begin to kind of go south. Yeah. So I'm like, don't look at me. I'm right. not a role model. Right. You know, if you it's think like I am in your mind, now. go. that's fine for you, you know, but <laughs> I, I will probably let you down. If you follow me on Twitter, you'll see that I'm kind of angry a lot, and yeah. I'm not this perfect person that you might think. So... You're, so, perfect, yeah. you're perfect on Instagram, though. Uh, more perfect. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm a little nicer on Kinder, there. Kinder, gentler. But yeah, me and Brad are just trying to live a really boring and normal that's and good. healthy life. That's good. That's the goal. And that's why I like you. So, yeah. um, so what? We, this was a, a question from our LGBTQ community. Um, what is the best strategy for continuing relationships with people who are non-affirming? Okay. Okay. This is a good question. So. Uh, Number one, the question is, I know exactly where the question is coming from, but the question is a little bit flawed in that, or not it's flawed, not flawed. From my perspective, my default mode in interacting with anybody in this world is we're going to default to love and assuming the best, okay. right? So I think it, we, we get really, it can get really toxic really quick when we're constantly expecting you know, a lot of negativity to come our way when that's typically not the case, depending on your life story. So I kind of default to that, and so I created this tiny little schema in my mind that I've talked about a lot, but I break it down to... Um, you know, thoughts, words, and actions, and people can express themselves, you know, sort of in those three ways, or their beliefs can manifest in those three ways. So my whole thing is, and I've I've had this conversation with my family, with my close friends, because I still have a ton of community with uh, conservative evangelical folks, and so I just say, listen, you have full capacity to believe what you want. I'm not, I'm not going to police what you believe. If you continue to be non-affirming, and that's in your head, good for you. But if, if you are going to 
uh, bring that negative, bring that kind of stuff uh, into words mm-hmm. or in actions, if you're going to kind of use your words or actions to, I don't know, condemn me, talk down, be super negative, be toxic, then I have the right at that point to completely pull away and remove myself. So I think there's sort of like degrees to what are we talking when we say someone is not affirming, what do we mean by that? Are they kind and gracious or are they spiteful and negative? And so I just, I value my own mental health very well. So mm-hmm. I just have this policy now where if, if you're super toxic, really around anything in life, if you're right. highly toxic, negative, you know, contagious uh, person, I'm just going to pull away is, is, you know, no doubt about it. So so that's it. I would say, to answer your question, try your best to love. Try your best to love the, these kind of people if you don't, just, don't agree. And I would say at the worst, t- tolerance. I'm like, I'm like getting really re-into the tolerance concept. I've like created this scale of like, if you can imagine like here's like the baseline of love and all the way up is like the most loving thing you can do and all the way down is like negativity and hate and like murder is down here. Toler- tolerance to me is like right in the middle. In some ways, it's like the worst form of love, the lowest form of love, or it's like the best form of hate, you know? So it's this weird, like, neutral zone. But I'm like, it's actually a really beautiful principle, particularly for diverse countries like America, where it's like, we have all kinds of people we disagree with, and particularly now. So I'm like, we all kind of need to recommit ourselves to this idea of, listen, I may not have the capacity to just be super Johnny-go-lucky, I love you, you know. um, If you can't pull that off, and I'm like, the next best thing is to just tolerate and exist with people and to be pleasant as much as you can in that space. But again, the minute they go super toxic and rogue, I think you have the right to pull away just in a, in a manner right. of, again, protecting your own mental health. So that's how I approach it. I don't project right. on anybody else because everyone else has different stuff they've been through. Yeah. No, that's a good word. I love the, the tolerance aspect of that. Um, you, you've told me before you don't like cliche words, obviously don't like to get put in a box or anything, but you've kind of, uh, I don't know if left the evangelical space or, or don't like to be considered... Um, Progressive or, I mean, where, what are you? What is, what is B.T. Harmon? <laughs> I have no idea. Okay, what I, all right. <laughs> um, you know, these terms are so broken. Like, even the term evangelical, I'm like, what does that even mean? Do we have, does right. anyone really know what that even no. means? And even my evangelical friends are like, I mean, they typically don't introduce themselves. I mean, when I was a kid, I wasn't like, I'm an evangelical. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. that's not a word we actually use. No. You know, I think like, People who study politics and voting maybe even kind of created that word to attach it to this to a vote to a voting block. Mm-hmm. So you know it has kind of morphed. It seems like in the last couple of years into more of a you know quasi-religious political uh, situation. But but yeah, I mean the reality is you know because I have people who think that I, I hate evangelicals and that's really not no. remotely true. You know I, I do have issues there because I'm like there are there are churches in Atlanta where I live that I know of where. You can, I know this has happened, you can call their front desk on a Monday morning and say, hey, I'm a, I'm, I'm a gay person, um, how, where can I serve in your church? And they'll say the, the parking team, and that's it. That's you know? it. Uh, not a, you're not going to be on kids, you're not going to be on stage, but yeah, you can help park cars. Um, so that's a thing. So I always say, like, I, I don't feel like I left evangelicalism as much as it has left me. True. Um, and the fact that I don't feel comfortable, you know, being with my husband in those kind of spaces because it's just awkward now. It's going to stir up drama. And I'm like, none of us want to live in drama. So, so that title certainly does not fit me. Um, I don't. I would not say, but I am learning. Trey, here's my soapbox. Lately, is I'm just I'm trying to avoid labels. Um, yeah. Because what I've learned is the minute you put on a label, you right. begin to actually absorb all kinds of weird things that go along with that subculture, and so. Um, you know, uh, I guess I would I would be considered this new phrase uh, an ex-evangelical. That's a right. thing that I've seen rolling around. You know, but that's not a title that I put on because I mean, I think the minute I kind of 
it's got absorb a negative... that into my identity. Now yeah. I'm like, I'm an evangelical. What do evangelicals do? Right. What are those evangelicals doing? Oh, they're screaming and getting really mad. That's what our tribe does, you mm -hmm. know. I mean, it's like I, I listen. I hate to pull out a, a football analogy on on Dang church it. in church because that's we've all heard that a million times. But to go there, we are both Alabama football fans. Yeah, real that tribe. is that is yeah. And so. Um, yeah, that's an, that's, an, that's an identity. And so the minute that I, I, I claim that, then it comes to all these expectations of here are the colors that I wear, here are the things that I say, here's how I act, here's you're, uh, you're the websites you're that we You're a champion. Yeah, you're a champion right. of that. And so... What? Well, that was good. That went right over my head for a hot minute. <laughs> I'm a champion. It's classic. It was good. That was Sorry. good. And so that's the problem. The minute we grab a label, we feel compelled to act like that, that, that in-group kind of thinking and behavior. Right. And so... I just think, yeah, maybe we can just exist without having to have labels. And, um, you know, I still am enamored with Jesus. I'm still, yeah. I'm st it blows my mind. Like even now, um, when you watch the way that marketing and movements evolve, mm -hmm. if you want to start a movement, find a group of people and start telling them exactly what they want to hear. That's the mm -hmm. quickest way to catalyze, to catalyze human energy and emotion. And then, and then weaponize that language to get them to go do what you want. Mm -hmm. What what's continues to blow my mind about Christianity is it's actually telling people a lot of things they don't want to hear, right? It's like, oh, yeah, love your enemies. Nobody wants to hear that. No. Um, forgive people. We're not natural forgivers. Um, right. the, the, uh, the verse, consider others better than yourself. Like, what a bizarre and backwards, you know. So the fact that this, a, a faith system has not only survived but thrived for 2,000 years, and it will continue to be here long after we're all gone, on the backs of very non-intuitive principles that sort of go against the grain of human instinct, uh, that blows my mind. And so, so yeah, I, I'm at this weird place, Trey, where I have, I have so much negative emotion around what's happening around the religious structures in our country, but deep down there's this sense of like, no, there's this ancient thing that is still there, and Jesus is still this incredible... Um, person and the sacrifice, all of those messages, redemption, that I'm not, I just don't see in other places. So I'm like, I'm still connected to it because of that and still find Christian faith extremely compelling and, and something that I'm, you know, still committed to. So. Yeah. Let's shift gears a little bit. Um, you, you've, you've told me that you get, uh, you get messages from uh, closeted uh, young adult uh, males mostly, I guess? No. Or? No, males and females. Yeah, you get so you get these messages on Instagram, or you get them on MySpace, or whatever it is you use. Um, <laughs> is that not a thing anymore? I don't know. Tom? Yes, no, Trey, it is. You oh. should log in and check okay. on your profile. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely a thing. All right, go listen. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so you're getting these messages. What is what is what is your word of encouragement? How what what do you try to do with that responsibility? And how are you how are you encouraging these? these young people? Okay, so this question is tricky because it's like macro, micro. At the macro level, I will keep screaming this uh, for as long as I'm alive, it is a fantastic time to be an LGBTQ person in the world, in America right now. Okay. That's not, that might not be a popular thing to say, but it is true. It's a, it's a wonderful time, the fact that I can marry my husband and we can go through our lives and live a pretty peaceful, normal life just like anyone else is unbelievable. And so, that little factoid alone, I choose a Cimarron, and it has generated, it is like a nuclear engine of gratitude in my life, and it powers everything that I do, and it's amazing. That's the macro. That's the big picture deal. On a micro level, we still have people, kids, youth, teens yeah. stuck in situations that are not at all hopeful and incredibly sad and incredibly discouraging, and so, so yeah, I mean, I just think 
to like what I try to tell, to try to describe the closet. There's nothing like the closet unless, you, unless you've lived it. And the best description I can think of is like imagine um, you take a child, a five, seven, ten-year-old child, and you, you put a speaker in their bedroom, and every single night when that child goes to sleep, the speaker says the same thing over and over again. You're gross, your body is broken, you don't fit in, you should be ashamed, and oh, by the way, when you die, you're going to hell. Mm. You're gross, your body's broken, you should be ashamed. I forgot the other one, and oh, by the way, when you die, you're going to hell. Like imagine that's replay, like playing audibly in this child's bedroom night after night for years and years and years and even into decades. And so this is the damnable nature of the closet, is that that's the little message that we're playing. And this is why LGBT people, we have this, you know, in some ways we have a very rich inner life only because we're stuck in our heads a little more, like because we have to constantly be evaluating the world around us. And obviously when you're young and you're a kid, that's, you're not equipped to do that. And this is where the trauma and a lot of the mm. depression and issues begin to manifest is because we're simmering in all of that negative sort of spiritual energy and those bad thoughts, and it has a really corrosive effect. And so, so for people who are in that spot, I have a ton of compassion. I was there for many years. It got to the point where I wrote about Blue Baby Spink. I took two trips to the hospital, you know. Um, I've often said, like, I, uh, when it comes to the privilege boxes, I check almost all of them. Like, and so in my late 20s to be, oh, I have a great job and amazing friends and I'm making good money, and my inner life is absolutely just wilting away because I had all of that negative motion compounded by uh, a really big secret. And listen, I, I wrote in Blue Baby Sink extensively about the, the damnable nature of secrets. And these secrets have so much power over us. Uh, and so for me, this is why, you know, National Coming Out Day was this past week. And I know some people probably roll their eyes like, here, we're doing this again. But I'm like, it should be celebrated. It's a good thing. And I'm clear to say that coming out is not the silver bullet. People, we over-romanticize the coming out process. Uh, I keep going back to like, we have to continue to like work on ourselves while we're in the closet, which is what I feel like I did. I was building a community, a support network while I was in the closet, and I was doing all the other work on ourselves because I'm not this one-dimensional gay creature. Like, there's a thousand different facets to B.T. Harmon, and there's this one thing over here called gay, but I'm like, there's a million other things I can be working on while I'm dealing with that issue. I'm saying so I'm... I try to tell people to like release them to like, hey, listen, if you're 21 or 18 or whatever it is and it, you're not able to come out because your parents or finances or you're going to lose your job, I said, that sucks and it's terrible and we're going to hold a lot of space for you. But in that meantime, boy, there are so many things we can be doing and growing and expanding and reading and learning and connecting to get our, our hearts in a place um, where we're healthier when we do come out. So for yeah. me, when I did finally come out in a kind of a public, public-y way, which is not for everyone, but it was for me, um, that was the last piece, and my mental health mm. flipped so quickly to a degree that has never, I've never gone back to that dark place because I had had all of that time working on myself, praying, meditating, getting in a healthier space, and then the coming out lifted the secret. Mm. So now, I'm, now, now the secret is gone, and my headspace is in a better place, and I've got this community around me. Let's go to work. So, um, so, that my, so to answer your question, my word is if you're in that space, hang on, hold on, keep hope. Uh, listen, there are so many people out there who are so insanely supportive. The free mom hugs crowd. I'm like, mm -hmm. man, if you are hanging by a lifeline, hanging by a thread, the good news is, boy, you can reach out. And there are people there now, maybe in another state, another country, mm -hmm. who can help and can offer hope and, um, and love. Yeah. So. And Stan, Stan Mitchell, who's speaking next week, has Everybody Church. And <laughs> literally it's for everybody. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's one of those things we as a faith community, uh, you know, we're not, we're not perfect. We struggle with, with things. And uh, what is what is a way for us to and honestly with the trauma associated with it I'm amazed any LGBTQ people ever show up in a church building ever but when finding a church like ANC 
or any church that's affirming and willing to celebrate them for who they are, how's the best way we can love and just wrap our arms around and be, be a faith community that's worthy of being at? You know what I'm yeah. saying? I think that's the most common question I get is how can we, like, how can the church love LGBTQ people more? And I don't know the answer to that. I mean, for, for a church like ANC, I would say you're already, you know, you're already 90% there just by mm. making the, the, you know, the stand that you guys have taken to make this an inclusive place. Um, you know, right now we're just in a place where the word Christian is still associated like anti-gay. It's almost like a synonym, right? Like that's just the, per- the, the perception in the zeitgeist, both in sort of religious circles and even non-religious circles. So I think that's got to change. And so it's, it's congregations like this that are going to begin to shift that to, you know, because hopefully eventually it's like Christians do not equal anti-gay, but even if some are, mm-hmm. but boy, there's this whole other thriving branch of the tree of Christianity that is that celebrates people and, uh, yeah. and is a source of light and a source of hope. And so um, to me, that's what I would hope, you know, that you guys would continue to lean into. But I mean, you're doing a doing a pretty good job now. Well, there's no going back. There's no going back. <laughs> there's no that's going true. back. The evangelicals yeah. won't have us. Yeah. Any, no, we're done. Uh-huh. Well, one, yeah, it's true. I mean, one final thought, which is like, there will always be a desire for a for the for the beacon on the hill. Like I'm like when you look at the the dominant religious structure now, I'm like, where is the compassion? Where right. is the love? Where right. I mean, I'm like the shouting about all these other issues is so loud, and so I'm kind of feeling like, okay, wow, as that as that thing gets angrier and louder, there's going to be sort of this back door of like people are still looking, people are always looking for a version of faith that champions love and inclusion and uh, compassion, and so I'm hoping for like. This is a weird old word that I used 20 years ago a lot. A revival? Can we oh, say that? A yeah, revival? Yeah. I mean, I spent all of high school praying for a revival, for God to save us from the, the gays and the Hollywood <laughs> elites and all the bad guys of society. And now I'm like, we need a revival to kind of save us from this machine that we built that's kind mm-hmm. of gone out of control. We need a revival of some kind of spiritual renewal. So, yeah, I mean, we can all pray for that, and maybe it'll happen. That's good stuff. I did so. I, uh, so Sam and I decided that if we got done by 11:15, it's 11:13. I would, we'd field a few questions. So if you're online, you can, you can uh, enter those in the, in the chat window of the Facebook page. I don't think we're going to monitor YouTube, but if you're in the room, uh, will you bring the lights up a little bit too, uh, Trace? Thank you. If you're in the room and you have a question for BT, uh, make your way up here to Sam. She's got a microphone. We'd love to capture that as well. Uh, we'll just give it a couple minutes. If you don't have one, even if you just want to say, I love you, BT, and I love your hat <laughs> Thanks. or something. All right, somebody, come on up, come on up. Man, you're making this. this Sorry, is a, this is a challenging I know, question right? situation. Nope. Kudos to the brave man. Whew. It was on my mind. Oop, turn it on. We... Hello. Okay. So I feel like ANC and this conversation is doing pretty well at addressing sexuality when we're talking about LGB but I often question how we handle gender Uh, in these spaces. When we use binary language and when we're talking about inclusivity. So Mm -hmm. just wanted to know y'all's thoughts. Yeah. My thought, representing ANC, um, we're trying. Again, this is is fairly new to us. I mean, we we came out in 2016, um, and I know... We have, we have non-binary folks who have, that have joined our ranks, and we have folks just all along the spectrum everywhere, um, fully, fully trans to whatever. And so, I mean, we're just trying. We're, help us. You know, we, we have that voice on our board. 
we have the voice of, of, of the LGBTQ community um, who have our ear. Uh, we, we're open to everybody letting us, ha- giving us input. Um, so if we're failing in that, let us know. Um, that's, that's really all I can say, I think. Jason, you weren't planning on saying anything, but you got a mask on. That's good enough. I hope, that, I hope you understand our hearts in that. It, maybe we're not doing it right, but let us know. Okay? Is that, does that kind of answer that? All right. Sorry. That was, seemed very ANC specific. <laughs> yeah, fine. You, okay. you got it. Anybody else? Anybody? All right. All right. I just wanted to thank you for um, talking about how only one part of you is spending is is gay. Like you are all these things, and gay is one thing that you are. And I think that we have this sort of default thing in our society where, when we want to be inclusive, we almost single out our differences, and we. Uh, We work really hard to make an affinity group for every aspect of who we are as humans. Mm -hmm. And I think that can almost um, stop the organic, like, it seems like intolerance melts when we form real friendships, like Mm -hmm. actual relationships with another human being. And one thing I like about ANC is that you don't work really hard to say, okay, there's a little mini group for everyone and stick to yourselves and birds of a feather and that kind of thing. Wait, wait a second. We, we do have an LGBT group. We're going to show and you a slide totally for And that's totally fine. <laughs> anyway. But it isn't when you Sorry. fill in your new partner no, classwork that you're I choosing you. to be in these little, tiny, isolated things. That's yeah. one thing I think that is sort of a balance, and I just really wanted to thank you for addressing that because it's artificial to only talk about one aspect of ourselves. I our, hear you identities and that's thanks good. for bringing that up yeah that's yeah. good question right here i told sam i sent her a picture actually i sent her a video of phil donahue this last week working the audience with a microphone and this is what it looks like <laughs> i i just wanted to thank you i'm a harbor parent and if um uh, uh bt's group harbor is for families and uh when we found out about our son we didn't know what to do, and and I think I think a lot of Christians feel like either you can love your child or you can follow Jesus, mm. and that's a really scary place to be, and um, and and so, but if that's kind of what we've been been learning, so I just wanted to say thank you that the harbor was incredible for our family and how do they how do they so find harbor? You. How do people find that? So harbor, yeah, it's a uh, Christian support group. It's a support group for the Christian parents of LGBTQ kids that I started four years ago, and uh, harborhere.com is the website. But that's what we try to do. We try to break down that really toxic thinking, particularly for folks in the evangelical system of, yeah, either I have to love my kid or I've got to follow Jesus, and i got to make a choice, which is a horrible, horrible, horrible choice mm. for a parent to have to make. So we're trying to just break that whole thing down and just say, nope, that's not how it works. So, yeah, I would love for you to check that out if, if that's awesome. you. Whitley. Hey. What's up? <laughs> Nothing, how are you? Good, go. Good to see you. Okay. Um, You talked about spiritual health and mental health going together, which I love that. Thank you. Um, uh, I found in my journey that there was an effort to forgive myself for being in that time where I uh, just suffocated that part of me and I thought I was doing the right thing. Um, 
So my question is, like, one, I, w- I would be curious to know how do you take care of yourself, you know, and spiritually and mentally? And then also, were you in that? Did you have to forgive yourself? And yeah. if so, how did you do that? Yeah, I'm, I'm tearing up because uh, there is this thing that, ga- that LGBT people go through, particularly those who come out later in life, where you wake up one day and all of a sudden you can breathe for the first time and the sun is out, and, and then you look back, and you're like, oh my gosh, like, all the, all the wasted years, you know, um, and so a lot of people have this, um, there's a mourning aspect to coming out, um, particularly if you're older, where you're like, because now, you know, it's like, I am happily married, and there was this time in my, there was this season of when I was coming out to close friends and family, and I was working through the theology piece, and there was this little voice in my head saying, who do, you, who do you think you are? You're not going to be happy. Like, if you get married, you're not, this is not going to make you happy. You know, at the end of the day, you're going to be still a miserable, miserable person, and you're going to live with a lot of sadness. And even had someone close to me say, you know, Brett, this is not going to, when I was dating my husband, Brett, this is not going to work out how you think it is. Hmm. So, sort of this ominous prophecy of, you think that this gay lifestyle is good and holy, but oh, what it's not. And so, um, now, having met my person, and we got married in 2018, and we're three years in, and I'm like, wow, as it turns out, the actual opposite is so true. Like, the deeper I go into my love for my husband, the, the more life I have, and the more joy that I have, um, and the more those old narratives just begin to crumble, because it's one thing to accept those things cerebrally, and to like, yes, I believe that um, that this is, a, you know, a good thing. But then once you start experiencing it, you're like, oh, this whole system that I believed for so long was so backwards and cruel and harmful. Um, so yeah, for some people, it takes getting to that point of like, all of that, that was the final nail in the coffin of all those just crazy thoughts that were still lingering in my head from, the, from sort of a type of programming. Um, but no, it's full of joy and really very happy. I told you, if you cried, I was going to cry, but I'm, I'm holding on. Okay, you're doing good. Yeah. Holding on. Not same. Anybody else? All right. Well, let's uh, thank Brett, BT, for being here this morning. We're done. Thank you, sir. Thank, thank you, brother. Give me a hug.